0: I'm James Milley, and I'm Alex Mito, and this is The Artist Business Plan, your favorite weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs, hosted by Superfine Art Fair. Hello, business artists and art entrepreneurs. Welcome back to the Artist Business Plan. My name is James Milley, and I'm the managing partner and co-founder of Superfine Art Fair, the most widespread art fair for artists in the United States. As you may know, we're also a business resource for all things art, artists, and marketing art. I'm also very excited to share a fun fact with you all about our own podcast. You are now among over 3,000 unique listeners to this podcast every month and you're tuning in from all over the world, over 64 countries and growing. We're so excited to keep growing with you all and providing support and guidance to artists and professionals around the world. But we do need your help. After you listen to this amazing episode with the wonderful Danielle Krissa, please take a moment to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast listening platform. That helps other business-minded artists just like you find the artist business plan and benefit from our and our guests' invaluable perspectives and advice. We are here today with none other than Danielle Krissa. Danielle has a BFA in visual arts, and a post-grad in graphic design. she is the writer and curator behind the contemporary art site, The Jealous Curator, the podcast, Art For Your Ear, and has curated art shows all over North America. Danielle is also an artist herself, creating narrative mixed media collages that combined found objects, objects, and paint. Danielle is also an artist herself, creating narrative mixed media collages that combined found images, objects, and paint. She is the author of several art books: Creative Block, Collage, Your Inner Critic is a Big Jerk, a big important art book. Now with Women, a big important artist, a wool manual, and in September of 2020, uh, her first children's book, How to Spot an Artist, was released worldwide. Danielle had the great pleasure of speaking at TEDx, Pixar Creative Mornings, and was interviewed for several video segments on Oprah.com. That is incredible. Welcome to the show, Danielle. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You've accomplished quite a bit. A bit of a mouthful, but in a very good way.
1: Uh, (laughs) It's kind of nice to hear it read back, you know? It's like, oh yeah, I did do that. That's great. (laughs) Oh yeah, right.
0: (laughs) Now, before we get started, Danielle, uh, I want to ask you something to help our audience get to know the real you. What is the earliest memory that you have of art? And did you realize then that you'd be dedicating your life to art?
1: Probably the clearest one was when I was three. My mom was a professional artist and my dad framed all of her work, all fancy, you know, gold frames and glass for her shows. And I was drawing a bird in a tree with oil pastels. And my dad leaned over my shoulder and saw it and said, well, we need to put that in a frame. And I just remember being like, oh, yes, I've made it. I felt like I was an artist just like my mom. And I was like, well, there's nothing left for me to achieve.
0: (laughs) That is such a touching story. I love that. And kind of getting that mindset from the start, you know, even as a child, you know what? I am an artist. What I make is worth being framed. And uh, if, you know, you as an artist, you don't already think of yourself that way then you know go ahead and frame something <laughs> you know just anything that you've made uh, a sketch and and get that mindset going
1: exactly and he framed it in a gold frame and it's hanging in my studio right now I still have it
0: so Danielle, we are huge fans of The Jealous Curator and your hilariously accurate motto of turning jealousy into uh, get your ass back in the studio inspiration. It's a great motivational tool, <laughs> but your site is also a place to uplift artists and it's a celebration of their work. What are some tips that you've acquired that could help a young upcoming artist find strength and community instead of just comparing themselves to others?
1: If you can start early, Trying to figure out what your voice is, what your point of view, the things you want to articulate in your work, the way you want it, the materials you want to use, the colors you want to use. And I very often suggest that people start creating a visual vocabulary, like actually get a little book and start sort of documenting the things that you do. Maybe it's things you don't even think about. The palette you constantly go for. If you go to the art store and you always buy the same colors, why? There's a reason behind that you that you might not even realize unless you give yourself the time and space to figure it out. And then you'll be making art that only you can make because it's going to be your voice and your thoughts and everything that just comes solely from you.
0: So artists, start creating a visual vocabulary for yourselves and pay attention to the things that you are doing, even if you're not really doing them consciously. So if you're going to the store and you keep paint the same colors over and over again, you know, what draws you to that? I mean, as, as an artist myself, I can totally attest to that, I, you know, when I start making photography over a period of time, and then I look back, I, I realize that there's this color palette that's developing over kind of the, the overall arc of my work. So I totally think that that's a great way to go and just start paying attention to what makes you, you, and I, I think that's, that's such great advice. Danielle, my next question. You interview artists that you are quote-unquote jealous of or inspired by. Mm -hmm. When you're speaking to all of these successful artists, what are some similarities that you find among their business plans or their creative styles that might translate to success?
1: All of these people who were, you know, showing in galleries all over the world and had collectors and they all have an inner critic. They all get creative blocks. They all have self-doubt. But the difference is they get up and keep going the next day uh, where I quit for 15 years. That That's what makes a great artist is getting up tomorrow and putting your pencil on the paper no matter what. So that is a huge thing that I hear from a lot of artists. The other thing is like if you're a student and you're listening to this, you know, you're given assignments at school. But when you graduate and you're just an artist and you're out in the world, it's just you in a blank canvas. And that is super intimidating <laughs> because the possibilities are endless, which is can be terrifying. So a lot of the artists I talk to talk about sort of creating a sandbox and playing within it. And by that, I mean, you know, give yourself a set of rules, decide that you're only going to use three kinds of supplies and only give yourself an hour to make something only going to use one color. And I have to create something, you know, in the next half an hour, whatever it is, setting a timer, setting your materials to a limited amount you can kind of give yourself these little projects and, and it gets you moving and making instead of staring at a blank canvas wondering what you should do.
0: Yeah, it's, it's almost a bit of like an arbitrary rule or or guideline that you're creating upon yourself because, you know, art can really, truly be anything. And that, like you said, that can be totally overwhelming to have any possibility in front of you. And that's, you know, something I, I've uh, talked with my partner, Alex, about as well It's just, you know, setting these rules for yourself why not?
1: <laughs> yeah, it helps. It really helps. It grounds you. It gives you some direction. I was saying to somebody recently, um, I was terrified of blank canvases for the longest time. And I started getting, when my son was little, I would get him to do the first brush stroke, whatever color he really <laughs> wanted. And he was the one that was, was responsible for <laughs> ruining that canvas. And then it was already wrecked, so I would come in and I could build on top of that. but when it's just you and that blankness, it's a little it can be intimidating for some people. Some people love it, but the majority of people it stops them
0: i mean that that's a that's a great arbitrary rule. Have your kid make the first brush
1: joke. yeah
0: <laughs> yeah, and I really like what you were saying before as well. I mean, I feel like there's this bias that people have that you know if someone's successful, it means that they don't have creative blocks, they don't you know, ever get, you know, hung up in any way, they're just always going full steam ahead 100%. But it's actually what makes you successful is when you have that continuing to to move forward, instead of you know, letting it stop you in your tracks. Um, so it's, it's less of, you know, you're a perfect human being and more like you, you know, how to, to get back up, get on the horse, so to speak. Um,
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like if you had a bad day at work, you wouldn't just not go back to work the next day. You've got responsibilities. Yeah, people. Somebody. You know, you got to show up to work the next day. But with creativity, people can sort of see it as a frivolous thing and just be like, "Oh well, I'm just not going to do it anymore." And it's like, "Well, are you serious about this? Like, do you want to be an artist or a musician or a dancer or whatever it is?" It's like, "Okay, well, stop feeling sorry for yourself. <laughs> you know, put on your boots and get back to work." <laughs>
0: Yeah, you don't have hours like you, you don't need to clock in and clock out the way that you do when you have a job. I mean, you're setting that yourself if you're in a mental funk and you decide that, you know, you're going to just wake up at 2pm every day for the next month. I mean, there's no one stopping you, but also, you know, you kind of should be making those guidelines. Like you were saying before.
1: Yeah, it's just it's a slippery slope. It's a slippery yeah. slope. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's 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 the pro and con of of uh you know being in charge of yourself is you know you don't have to answer to anyone and also you don't have to answer to anyone. Yeah, so you, exactly. You have to you have to be creating that structure yourself. So shifting gears a little bit, Danielle, you yourself are a wonderful artist as well. You spend so much time promoting others, but I'd like to hear a bit more about your personal process and your own business plan for your work. What are some of your musts for your artist business plan?
1: Well, that's hilarious because I I read these questions ahead of time and I saw that and I was like, interesting, perhaps I should have one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm at a very weird moment in my art practice. So like I said earlier, I quit for 15 years because um, at the end of art school I was told by my painting prof as a painting major a few weeks before I graduated that I should, quote, never paint again. So I listened to that and I quit for 15 years. I became a graphic designer. I did that instead and sort of hid out over there. Then when I started making art again, I was doing collage work and I have a background. I worked in advertising for 15 years. So I know about marketing, I know about selling, and so I set up a little shop and was selling my my work and, you know, I spent time making sure that I was looking at what other artists did work similar to mine, what, what theirs was priced at so that I wouldn't be priced, I wouldn't be too cheap or too expensive. I promoted myself on Instagram and all of those things. But right now I'm at this moment where I'm starting to do bigger work and I want to be in museums and be do, you know, so I'm not really thinking about selling stuff which is really hard for me because I've always thought about selling so now I'm in this moment where I'm working with another artist named Pita Coyne she's an amazing woman from New York and she's sort of we're partnering she doesn't want to use the word mentor but I totally think of her as a mentor she'll be so mad at me that I said that but there's no other way to describe it and she said I kept talking about money and she said oh my god she said can you please write on your studio wall MoMA and money. And she's like, and then cross off the money. And she said, every time you start freaking out about how much you're spending on supplies, or oh, gosh, should I be selling this or whatever? She said, I want you to think money? No, MoMA. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, that's the goal for me right now is just to do enough work, get shown enough that I can sort of make some really gigantic goals happen. So my business plan is more around the Jealous Curator versus my own art, to be perfectly honest.
0: You know, I think that that's a really interesting thing that you bring up. There's some artists that I talk to as well, where it, they're not in it for the money. They they want museum recognition. They have you know nonprofit goals or or larger scale, I you know things that they have in, in mind. I do think that ultimately what you're you're doing with your uh, non-mentor mentor. <laughs> if, <laughs> yes,
1: they love that.
0: You are ultimately paying attention to. The signals of you know what you're doing and what it is that you need to be like what steps are going to get you to your goal in this case it's MoMA instead of money you know it's I, I do think that even if a business plan is not exactly the word that comes to mind for you because you're looking at a museum, I mean there is still that plan in mind and and thinking ahead is so important but As you said, the business being more focused on the Jealous Curator, that's another thing that, you know, artists I hear a lot say is there's sort of this thing that is parallel to their art career and that thing helps them propel their art career in a way, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, that is fine. You know, I hear so many people like at book signings or at events, almost like they're not a real artist if they're not a full-time artist and that's all they do with their day. There's so much... Goodness in having another thing, even if it's like working at a pizza place, it gives your mind a break from your creativity, gives you a chance to miss it and get inspired, pays the bills. You can still be a quote unquote real artist and have another job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, artists who I who I have on the podcast or I write about, you know, you assume because they're showing at these crazy places. And then you find out that they're also a teacher on the side or they still work at a bar at night or whatever it is. And it doesn't negate their talent or their um, success as an artist or anything. It just helps pay the bills and gives them a chance to get out of the studio and find some inspiration somewhere else.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's this concept of, you know, like a quote unquote pure artist. And also I, I feel like pure artist is often coupled with starving artists. You know, you're supposed to not do anything else. You're supposed to be broke. And you're supposed to like not get anywhere with your art career until you are dead. And then and then people, which is like not what you need to do. (laughs) No. When I when
1: I was in art school, I asked that in my last year. I was sort of like, oh geez, like what do we do when we graduate? And you know, like, how do we make money? And this one girl in my class was like, You wanna be a sellout? And I'm like, no, I wanna eat and pay rent, don't you? (laughs) And she was just like, you won't be a real artist if you make money. And I was like, oh, I was in the wrong program because like, <laughs> you know, so there is that that mindset. And so I just wanted to say it out loud that, you you know, you can have another job and still be a, a great, successful artist. And um, there's no shame in that at all.
0: Yeah. As a bit of an aside, I'm actually reading uh, Matthew McConaughey's book Green Lights right now and he talks about how when he was in acting school all of the other students were only into like indie films and very like very cerebral movies he was taking inspiration from bigger box films and then they were saying that those aren't real films they're they're total crap and then he asked them well did you even see it and they they said that they hadn't so <laughs> It, it might be a different path than someone else sees, but it is still a, a totally valid path. And it doesn't mean it's a sellout path. It just means that it's a path where you're able to eat, like you said.
1: Yeah, or, or where you feel comfortable being. It's sort of like going back to the very beginning about that visual vocabulary thing. It's, it's uniquely you, right? Like your path is going to be uniquely yours, and it's going to be the things that you're comfortable with. And if you're comfortable with blockbusters versus indie films... Then okay, then you know you yeah. turn out to be Matthew <laughs> McConaughey. That's not a bad thing.
0: Uh, kind of going back to your own practices, so to speak. Do you have a particular daily routine that optimizes your time for managing and creating? Whether it's you know for your art practice or for the jealous curator or anything else that you're doing.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, I've had to for a long time, probably ever since I became a mom. I didn't have a system for the longest time. And I just always felt like I was always doing everything badly. (laughs) So now I break my days into chunks. And when I'm in whichever chunk I have scheduled, I don't allow myself to think about the other chunks or to feel guilty that I'm not doing the other chunks, right? So Mm -hmm. my morning, I'm not creative in the morning, I have figured that out. That's another thing to do is really pay attention. Like, are you most creative at 2am or 10am? And for me, it's around 2 or 3pm when I'm actually ready to do art. And then I could work till midnight. So in the morning, I always do my jealous curator stuff, I promote the post of the day, I write the post for the next day, I do all of my email, I do all my planning. And then I have my afternoon to go to the studio. That said, if I'm working on a book, you know, I'll have to break up. So I'll be like, okay, studio days will be Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, I'm going to write Tuesday, Friday, or whatever it is, so that I'm kind of breaking up my week. And then that way, when I'm writing a book, I'm not thinking, Oh, God, I should be in the studio. (laughs) Or when I'm in the studio, I'm thinking, Oh, shoot, I should have written another chapter of the book. It's like, well, no, it's not writing day. It's the only way I can do it without feeling like a crazy person and without constantly feeling guilty. Same with family time. Like when I have my time with my family, that's what I'm doing so that I don't always feel pulled in different directions because I did feel like that for years and it's a really exhausting way to live. So now the calendar on my computer is my friend and uh, yeah, every day is broken into chunks. <laughs>
0: I completely agree. And that's that's how I uh, function as well. Again, if you don't have a job, if you know someone else isn't placing a structure on you, you kind of have to create that structure, even if it's arbitrary or le- less of it being arbitrary, just more what works for you. It, yeah, for me, I actually, um, and it, it sounds actually pretty similar to how you break up your schedule. I, I call it a, a maker schedule and a manager schedule. So maker schedule is anytime I'm creating, doing something, you know, totally new the things that like propel superfine forward or my art business forward, um, and then management it my manager schedule that's like answering emails that's doing the things that do need to happen, but also shouldn't be the only thing that happens because it conversely it, it can be so easy to just answer your email all day and be like, okay, I did as much as I could.
1: Yeah, I have a submissions button on my site that goes to a specific inbox, a submissions inbox. I get so many a day and I was, I mean, they're so kind and sweet, the people that are submitting their work. And so I was writing everyone back and it was literally taking eight hours. Like that was my day was writing people back. And so I just put an auto reply on it. And that was funny and like, hey, FYI, this is an auto reply, but know that I am looking at all of your work because I really do go and look at everybody's work. I just don't have time to write everyone back to say, I looked at your work. So there's ways that you can use technology and stuff to sort of shortcut things like that so that, yeah, so that your day isn't eight hours of admin, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, I think that everyone sort of has this respect that we don't all want to be glued to our computers all day. So I don't really mind if someone is sending an auto reply that is automatically thoughtful. Um yeah. <laughs> like, okay, that person's busy. Uh, and I know that, you know, like you said, if they're still at least reviewing the work, but they're not writing a personal letter the first time, maybe if you do accept the submission or something like that, that's when you start talking to them personally. Exactly, yeah. It's just saving that step for you. And again, you don't have to have this guilt for it. I, You know, if you're out there and you receive an auto reply, you know, think about, you know, that person wants to go have a little extra time to spend with their kids. Now, I mentioned earlier during the bio that you've written many books. Um, I'd like to turn to two of them. Your Inner Critic is a Big Jerk, which I love the title of, and Creative Block. I heard that you have an exercise for silencing your inner critic. Would you share it with us and some other helpful ways an artist can silence their inner critic and continue creating through hurdles like this?
1: Sure. Well, I've got a few. I, don't, I wonder which one you're referring to. Um, <laughs> So there's a few things that I get people to do. First of all, I get people to name their inner critic, Tom, Jim, or Janine, or whatever you like. Your inner critic is just this floaty negativity in your head telling you that you suck or that your work's not good enough, or you know, self-taught doesn't count, or you're too old, or this or that, or whatever. It's just like a floaty little dark cloud. But if it's just like Tom... (laughs) being a jerk, you know, you can be like, dude, sit down. Like I've got work to do, you know? So I always tell people to personify it first and take some of its power away. The other thing I tell people to do is it's two words. Sounds easy, but it's really hard. Two words. Thank you. So James, you're a photographer, right? Yes. So somebody says, Oh my gosh, I love that image. You say, thank you. And then you stop talking instead of saying, Oh, thank you. But you know, the lighting wasn't quite right. And I wish I'd gotten out on a, on a you know, a sunnier day, but then this happened. Da-da-da-da-da. No, no, because your inner <laughs> critic loves that list that comes after the thank you. Right. Right. So if you can all that self deprecating stuff, so you'll probably still think it, but if you can just say thank you and stop talking, <laughs> inner critic loses a lot of power and i always joke that it makes you much more fun to talk to at a party instead of the debbie downer that's listing all the bad stuff (laughs) (laughs) and then the really big one that i get people to do is i find quite fun um especially in a group of people who don't know each other i make them all write down their inner critic sort of go-to slam you're gonna fail anyway so why bother trying usually there's swear words and stuff in there too. And I get them all to stand up. They're already horrified that I'm making them stand up. I make them turn to the person beside them and scream that thing at the other person. (laughs) Full volume, like, you know, all the swear words, everything. And people are mortified and they often cry. They hug the other person and apologize. Then I make them sit down and I say, How horrifying was that? And they can't believe they've paid to come to this workshop where I'm making them swear (laughs) at people. If you would not say that to a stranger or a friend or a child, or why are you screaming it at yourself every single day? Then I make them flip that piece of paper over and write the positive opposite because you can always flip those inner critic words into something that will propel you forward instead of stopping you. So if you say, you know, oh, I'm going to fail anyway, you know, why bother trying? The opposite of that is, Oh, I'm going to fail like a genius because <laughs> that's how you become a genius is by failing again and again and again, but you know, not quitting for 15 years. Like me, you fail, you wake up the morning next morning and you pick up your pencil and you go again. And every time you do that, you're on your path to being a genius. So that's how you flip Tom or Janine's or, you know, whoever's words around and make them work as fuel for yourself. And that's what starting The Jealous Curator really did for me because I was in such a funk and I I needed to turn jealousy into something positive.
0: I I especially love the personification of you know, your inner critic, because then it just turns into Tom is just being a jerk or Tom, it doesn't know where it's at. You know, it's yeah. that's Tom. <laughs> like, yeah. like, you know, Tom's just not inspired. Uh,
1: <laughs> yeah. And, um, and then it becomes your thing, right? It's like this little yeah. guy or girl, like, you know, I even tell people like, name it Mr. Fuzzy Bunny or like, you know, whatever <laughs> it is. So that it's just this non-threatening, annoying voice, as opposed to this voice that is a truth and that has power over you. You need to take that power back.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, whatever you can do to, you know, remove Tom or Phil or... Yeah, you know,
1: exactly.
0: <laughs> I absolutely do that all the time where I'm like, oh, thank you. I, I think exactly what you said is something I've said before. Like, thank you. Like, this day was cloudy. I wish it was yeah. sunny. <laughs> otherwise... I'm happy with the competition, but I wish the lighting was better.
1: Everyone does it. People do it about their clothing. Like someone tells you they love your, you know, your pants. You can't just say thank you. You have to tell them that, you know, oh, you got them at a discount place or this or that, or, oh, there's a little tear here. Like, why can't you just say thank you about the pants?
0: All right. So moving on to the next question, Danielle, you are an artist, a writer and a speaker, all of which are powerful skills for fostering a strong voice. How have all of these skills factored into the way that you market yourself and your work and the jealous curator and help others market themselves and their work?
1: Well, it's taken time, you know, I think as my confidence built as the jealous curator. It's really funny. I always feel like I'm a I'm a dual personality and and so I think the confidence I got from Jaw's curator and the speaking and and you know helping other people. I remember being on a plane home from New York after talking, you know, I think it was for the creative block book tour. And I was like, oh my God, what a hypocrite I am. Like here I am running around the country telling other people to get inspired and here's how to get unblocked. Meanwhile I still wasn't making art. And so I kind of started taking my own advice And my artwork started getting more confident. And I started being, you know, I actually set up my own Instagram with my own name, not just the Jaws Curator, and started putting my own artwork up there. And so I think it was the confidence thing that kind of transferred over. And I was like, well, hey, if I can promote other people, surely I could promote myself. I know how to do it. I just have to make it about me instead of somebody else. So that has really, really helped. And I have this weird thing in my head where when I'm making art, I will look at it and think, would the jealous curator write about this? <laughs> and if I think, no, the jealous curator wouldn't post about this, um, I don't quit. But I think, okay, I need to push this further. Or this was just a first idea. Or you know what? I love that top corner, but the rest isn't working. Tomorrow, I'll start a new thing with that top corner. And when I do work that I think, ooh, the jealous curator would totally write about this, then I know I'm on the right track. So, I mean, that's such a weird split personality thing, but having these two worlds has really kind of helped me have the confidence in my own work, if that made any sense at all.
0: Honestly, it makes perfect sense. I mean, you know, I'm an artist and then I'm also the founder of an art fair. I mean, when Superfine's Instagram page posts one of my work every like four months or something, I get so flattered. (laughs) I'm like, wow, like, (laughs) thanks. you know, translating skills that you learn from whatever else it is you do in life, whether it's another profession or just other parts of your life that aren't literally your art. I mean, that's not only where, you know, you're going to be able to, to apply something where you don't have that bias that, you know, everyone has when they're an artist that like, oh, this isn't for me. You know, you also mentioned before that you were a graphic designer for several years, you can see some of the like skills that you have from graphic design in your work the way that you know there's like the the composition of it and the way that your lines are are crisp in your collages that's what i see from a lot of other artists as well you know if someone's a graphic designer or an architect or you know if they're a mathematician beforehand and then and, and and then you see that in their work or if they're a teacher and you i mean you you see someone's entire life experience in their work. And I think allowing that instead of having to like carve off your art practice as it's its own singular thing that isn't influenced by the rest of your life. I mean, the rest of your life is what makes your art interesting and unique to you.
1: Exactly. That's so well said. That's exactly it. And I know like for mothers in particular, when I was in art school, again, it was very much like, well, you can't be a mother and an artist if you want to be a serious artist, like you won't have time for children and whatever. And so when people do have children, they're like, Oh, well, well, I guess I won't be able to do this art thing. And if they do art that kind of lets their motherhood, like a lot of people will specifically not mention their motherhood in their art, but you are living and breathing it every day, especially when you're home with a baby and whatever. It's like, that's your experience right now. Like your visual vocabulary right now is different than it was five years ago. And it's going to be different again in five years, you know, when that kid's off at school. So again, it's uniquely you. The moment that you're in right now, like if you're working at a pizza place, that moment in your life is uniquely you. So maybe you get inspiration from the super weird customers that you have or the the neon lighting that's like constantly flickering while you're working or whatever it is bring that stuff into your work like you don't have to do it like literally but take inspiration and then that way it makes the mundane stuff that you're doing or whatever it's constant fuel for your creativity because you can be like aha that would make for a great whatever instead of being like oh my god years have passed and now you know I've wasted all this time it's, like, it's not wasted time you know you can you can use it to harness other things
0: Kind of going back to like, you know, starving artists and pure artists there's also, you know, the Sunday painter, I feel like is a term for when someone doesn't have enough time to make art something that's a, a priority in their life, they're just dedicating Sunday to it, which if you, if you know, you block off your schedule in a way that Sunday is the day you make art, that's, that's not an issue. It's more just having art be something that's not just a hobby. If that's what you want out of it, if you want it to be a hobby great. But if it's something that's important to you, and you want to be selling your art, or you want to be in a museum, just because you're a mom, or just because you know, you have to have a, you know, a a more demanding job or something like that doesn't mean that you shouldn't, dedicate the time to it if that's something that you care about yeah
1: and you know that goes back to what you were saying too about the the business plan and me saying haha oh, i don't actually have one <laughs> but but i have a moma plan right, right i am busy i have a zillion things going like i have to pick my son up from basketball in a little bit like the, you know i have like i have to go get groceries <laughs> like i have a normal life right <laughs> but at the same time like okay what's my plan what's the realistic plan so you know i mapped it out actually the other day for like okay I need this X amount of money to be able to buy the supplies that I want to buy. I need to be in certain galleries so that I can, you know, then apply for grants. Those grants are going to help me. When I get into that gallery, I'm going to make sure I hire a photographer with my grant money to take really great photos of the installation so that I can use that to apply for other grants or to apply to museum shows or whatever. So there is a plan. It's a long-term plan. Like it's going to take a couple of years but instead of being frustrated that it's like you know we live in such an immediate society it's like i want to be at moma why am i not at moma tomorrow you know it's like <laughs> well that's cool but like i've got my plan i'm gonna follow it i'm gonna do all the things i need to do while i'm being a mom and running jealous curator and writing you know another kid's book or whatever i do that's next or whatever <laughs> yeah it's like, I, i'm gonna do it all but I need a plan for each area so that I can feel like I'm moving forward with it as opposed to spinning my wheels. Because, you know, we all have that moment, artists, well, probably all people, but I know artists have that moment where you're looking at your work and you think, oh my God, what is the point? (laughs) Why am I making this? Why am I struggling? I don't even have a show lined up. Like, am I a fool? And I think that's when having that plan, even if it's a two-year plan or a five-year plan, helps because you're working towards something.
0: I actually really like the example you gave about, you know, hiring the photographer with your grant money, right? You know, if you don't have the plan in your mind, you're just like, I gotta, you know, I gotta get a gallery show because that's what artists do. I'm trying to get into this museum. I'm trying, even if having that plan, the MoMA plan, the artist business plan, whatever it is for you. Even if that's pretty much just reiterating what you already have in mind, there's certain things like hiring a photographer to photograph the exhibition that that's going to help you propel you towards what you're actually wanting to do. That why that you mentioned, like, why am I doing this? If, if your end goal is that you want to be in a museum show, if you don't have that plan in place, you might get the gallery show, but then you might not take photos and it might not stand out to the grant underwriter or to exactly. the you know museum curator who's deciding you but if they see your show and i mean i look at your website and you have phenomenal photos of your work like the work itself is amazing but also i see it in situ i see it in context of you know a real space and it looks great
1: And that makes all the difference, you know, when you are applying for grants or whatever you're doing, it's like, people need to understand it. Like my studio is quite dark. I can't take photos. Like, you know, it won't do it justice. So it's sort of like, okay, well, how, where can I go? Even if it's a small local gallery, nobody needs to know, you know, that it wasn't New York or it wasn't whatever. It's like, it could be a small local gallery, get the photos taken and have them as a way to get to the next rung on the ladder, you know?
0: Yeah. Instead of just, I got the gallery show, woohoo did I sell anything? No, you know, once you have the gallery show, like, what is it that you want to achieve out of it? And exactly. if your main goal is just getting really good photos for the next thing that you want to do, then that, you know, that's a really attainable goal to uh, manifest. Moving on, this is actually something that I don't think we've ever done before. We we have a listener question, oh, which is very exciting. This is coming from Art by Cayenne. I think that that's their Instagram handle. And I think it's, actually very relevant to the conversation that we're having here. So they ask, how does an artist translate their artistic style? After a few years, my work is changing and I'm finding my style and self more, but I'm just not sure what to do about my portfolio and my shop. Do I delete everything that I had before? Do I discount it? What do I do?
1: Yeah, that is, I, that's so funny because I'm in the exact same spot Probably what I would do is break your website up a little bit so that you have it by year or by series so that if it looks totally different, you know, I spend a lot of time on artist sites looking looking for work to post about, right? And very often people will have like 2017 and all their work from 2017 and then maybe all their work from 2018 looks totally different, because something crazy happened to their life, or they discovered some new material and everything changed. And it doesn't take away from it. Uh, you can even address it in your artist statement. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't delete it all because that's part of your evolution. That's part of your story. And and um, I think good curators and collectors, they like to see your growth and where you've come from.
0: I actually 100% agree. I, I think categorize it, but lean into it. Like, don't try to neglect or avoid your past, actually make it part of your story. Like you said, it, it is showing the evolution of your art. It might show something that you might not even realize. I mean, you mentioned before that you were a painter before, and then you stopped painting for 15 years and that is part of your story. That's where you are today. That's why you are making the art that you're making. It's why you're doing everything else you're doing, why you're spreading this message of, you know remove the power that your inner critic has it's all because of this past where maybe your art looked different
1: Mm -hmm. i'm sure it did
0: if it's i mean it's it's definitely a different medium but you know i'm sure that you it's it's vastly different
1: yeah absolutely and i think there's nothing wrong with having having a past yes (laughs) exactly
0: (laughs) yeah no that's a great question thank you Cayenne. it's very exciting to have a, a listener question on here Danielle, this has been so amazing. Uh, I'd like to close it out with one more word of advice that you have. It, what What is one more thing that you'd tell an artist out there who is making art their business?
1: It's sort of, we touched on it, but it's a quote from Creative Block. Um, it was an artist named Amanda Happe from Toronto. And I asked her how she deals with negative criticism from either yourself or from a critic or, outside or family member or anywhere. And she said, The great thing is you don't have to care. Nobody can wrestle the pencil out of your hand. You get to keep going in absolute defiance. And I thought that was, I mean, when I read that, I burst into tears because, you know, I realized that that art prof who told me I should never paint again, I put my paintbrush down. He didn't. I could have picked it up the next day. That was my choice to leave it on the table for 15 years. So I always tell people, you know, pick up your pencil, pick up your camera, you know, whatever it is, pick it up the next day and go again and go again and go again. Because everyone listening to that, this podcast right now is a creator and we all know that it's impossible for us not to create. Yep. <laughs> <So> <laughs> don't, don't allow your inner critic or an outer critic to stop you. Pick up that pencil and go again.
0: I think that's beautiful. Danielle, like you said, I mean, life, you would have so much more time in life if you weren't making art. So you're making it for a reason. You can't not make art. It's I it's- can't
1: not. I can't not. I'm covered in paint right now. And I love it. It makes me so happy.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, I love that. I think that's a great way to close out the show. Yeah. Thank you so much, Danielle. To all of you business artists, Danielle has been dropping advice bombs left and right here today. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you love that phrase, advice bombs? I know,
1: I do. I like. I got there's a whole picture in my mind right now.
0: And you're going to want to go back and take notes on this podcast. If you want to connect with Danielle and her wonderful art, you'll definitely want to give her a shout. Uh, you can follow her at The Jealous Curator or at Danielle Chrissa Art on Instagram or visit thejealouscurator.com or DanielleCrissaArt.com. By the way, side point, great consistency in your uh, URLs and Instagram handles. Every artist should do that. Um, But you can follow her on all those or reach out to find more ways to connect with Danielle, her podcast, and her art. As always, remember that we are at Superfine Art Fair on Instagram. And if you want to give us a quick hello or learn more about how to apply for and exhibit at one of our upcoming fairs around the United States, just drop us a line at artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world. That is Making money at superfine.world. Once again, if you have been enjoying the artist business plan, Please share it with others on Instagram, and please take just a moment of your time to write us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really, really helps other artists, entrepreneurs like yourself find us, and we, of course, appreciate it too. We always end the podcast with a quote as well. So today's quote is by Louise Bourgeois, and it is, it is not so much where my motivation comes from, but rather how it manages to survive. And I think that's very poignant to the conversation that we had today. Danielle, it has been such a pleasure having you with us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. And everyone have an awesome rest of your day. And remember to stay on top of your artist business plan, get out there and make it happen. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Artist Business Plan, a weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs brought to you by Superfine Art Fair. Hosted by Superfine CEO Alex Mito and co-founder slash professional artist James Milley, join us and leaders in the art, marketing, and business arenas each week for tips, tricks, and value bombs designed to help you thrive and sell more art. For more information on applying to Superfine Art Fair, as well as recordings of this and all of our past podcasts, just visit www.superfine.world. We love to hear what you have to say, so follow us on Instagram at superfineartfair and shoot us a message to let us know you're listening. Looking for a more personal connection or want to exhibit at an upcoming fair? Shoot us an email at superfine.world and we'll get right back to you. That's superfine.world.